testing, testing, testing. Truly, people do need the Lord. Many people do not realize that they need the Lord. I was one of those people for many years. California is not my native home. I was born in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania a few years ago. I came to California not by choice, but one step ahead of a contract that was out on my life. You see, I didn't like to buy my drugs. I liked to take them from people. And I found out that at the other end of a gun, people usually give you what you want. You don't have to be very convincing. You just have to be very deadly and very serious. People truly need the Lord. And when I went to the Barber Tabernacle nine years ago, we had a function which we still have there, which requires that you get up at 5.30 in the morning and that you begin to read the Bible from 6 a.m. until 7.30 a.m. Now, this was pretty hard for me to do since at the time I got there, I was withdrawing and all the words were running together and I just couldn't figure it out. But I had a testimony that night from a fellow by the name of Joe Cooper, who was still there, of how the Lord had delivered him from drugs. Of course, I didn't believe any of this, because I didn't believe that God could do that. So I figured if I stay and got tight with Joe, because I believe he had all the drugs, that he would turn me on to his connection and him and I could run the drug trade out there training country. Needless to say, I never found the drugs. But Christ found me. And I gave my heart to the Lord there in December of 1981. And as I began to read the Bible, there was always a chapter that had caught my eye. The book of Psalms, the 40th chapter, from the first to the third verse. And every time I read it, I say, yes, Lord, that's me. Yes, Lord, that's me. And in Psalms 40 first to the third verse. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. I know what that slimy pit and that muck and that mire is to me. I left myself to climb into drugs and to alcohol and to prison and just no respect for myself and no one else. I was born the fourth child of ten children with James and Gladys Wilson. My mother knew the Lord and my father knew every bar in Philadelphia. That's why it was sometimes hard for him to bring his paycheck home. And so I started taking to the streets because I was hurt and because I was angry. I did very poorly in school, not because I was dumb, but because I didn't want to. Sometimes it's hard to do well in school when you're hungry. I don't want to stand here and paint you a picture of some little poor black kid sitting down in abstract poverty because it wasn't that way. I had every opportunity to get a good education and to become somebody. But the only thing I wanted to become, I wanted to become the gang overlord of North Philadelphia. And in my little stupid mind, I had an idea of annexing all the street gangs in Philadelphia under one. Of course, I would be the boss. But I didn't take one thing into consideration. That's illegal. 
and the cops would not stand for it. So once again, I found myself off to a reform school, and this time I got a break. It was recently at the close of the Korean War, and they were rebuilding the service, so they gave me a chance to get out of Philadelphia. During the time that I was in Philadelphia, I had been involved in a group called PAL, Police Athletic League. So there they had taught me to take up my anger on other people in the ring. So I learned to box, and I became pretty good at it. When I did go into service, I did get involved with the boxing team. Incidentally, I went in the United States Air Force a few years ago. And being on the boxing team, I got to travel all over the Far East. I spent two years in the Philippine Islands. And right before my rotation to the United States, I ran into an old colleague of mine in the city of Manila. And he introduced me because of my ignorance and not wanting to admit that I didn't know what Duji was. I didn't know what Duji was. It was a language term for heroin. And so what I thought would be a night of fun turned into a nightmare that lasted for 27 years. In and out of jail, in and out of the penitentiary, never anything solidified. My mother was always saying, try Christ, try Christ. I don't want to have nothing to do with Jesus. Nothing to do with Jesus. My conception of Christ was that he didn't like black folks. Because if he did, we wouldn't be poor. We wouldn't have all the things we got going against us. But it wasn't Jesus that was doing that to us, and we were doing that to ourselves. But it would have anything to do with him. Everything was Jesus, this Jesus, that and only preachers that I knew were the ones who were shallots. He drove the big Cadillac. He wore the fine clothes. And I figured they had to do this themselves, and Jesus must not have been of too much help. So she always cried for me to help Jesus. Try Jesus, try Jesus, he'll help me try. I got tired of Sunday school because when she take me in the front door, I go out the back door. Soon as she took me in, I'd run out. But then when it got so that I didn't care about the spanking she gave me, I just didn't go to church. I got tired of hearing what a friend we have in Jesus and the old rugged cross and all these other songs which meant nothing to me. And in my anger and in my bitterness, I struck out and I hated anything that was right. Because I blamed them for my problems. I hated anything that represented authority, and I struck out. And by learning to box and learning to be nasty and to take advantage of people, I became one nasty little dude. But I thank God I mapped my match, because Christ delivered the knockout punch. And I was down for the count. But he reached down and he picked me back up. And in 1978, once again facing charges, that I had not did. I was always innocent. There was always somebody else. You got the wrong person. I just look like him, and you know you say we all look alike. Uh, well, you got the wrong person. And facing these charges, the Lord had mercy on me, and I didn't know him. I got a call to come to Commonwealth Court, and there was my wife and my two sons. And I thought she was there once again to bail me out, to get me out of the jam, because under the alcohol, she was a very understanding wife. For 14 years she had put up with me. She realized that I had to steal a television. I had to steal her rent money. After all, I'm sick. And if she loved me, she wouldn't mind. And look at all the places we moved. We always moved because the rent never got paid. And she put up with this for 14 years. And every time I would go off the penitentiary, she would say to the kids, 
Daddy's on campus. Daddy's on campus. And one time he said, Daddy must be mighty dumb because Daddy's always on campus. They couldn't figure it out. So finally she said, listen, she says, I want my freedom from this man. And I couldn't believe it. After all, you love me. Look at what a life I've given you. She wanted her freedom. She said, I finally found someone that's going to do all the things that you promised to do. And I don't want anything from you because you couldn't afford to pay it anyhow. And you'll never be anything because all you'll be is a number and a statistic. And the Pennsylvania Penal Code. So she divorced me. This was the best thing that ever happened to me. And it was the best thing that ever happened for her because then I had to grow up. I had to stop being a stupid, dumb individual and start to become someone who was responsible. And I had to leave Philadelphia in 1979 or die. I managed to come out to California, and I said, I'm going to give it a new start. I'm going to get rid of all this abstract stuff I've been doing. I'm tired of prison. I'm tired of being tired. And I got involved with the Bible teaching, Bible-believing church, and if I called the name, you would know who they were. And they began to preach Jesus, but they preached him in a different form. It was not a bunch of do's and don'ts and wills and won'ts. It was a thing of, hey, listen, put your hands in the hands of the man from Galilee. Turn your life over to Christ. Hey, listen, you got a blood have to give it to him. And I began to do that. I began to take that step. I began to walk with Christ. But then I got cute. Because things started to happen. I started to be successful. So in 1981, I found myself sitting in my apartment, about to be evicted. Once again with the pony kit around my arm. And about to inject drugs again. And I stopped and I thought. I didn't come 3,200 miles to do that. I could have stayed home and did that. Probably got him cheaper. And I thought I, I needed help. And I called a friend of mine who had been involved in the prison ministry with. And he brought me to the Bible Tabernacle. Now, let me tell you something. When I got there, because he had told me, hey, they got these fine buildings. They got horses and a swimming pool. Hey, everything there is beautiful. Now, when I got there, I found a mud hole and three old half-dead goats. And I was ready to tell him, I said, listen, take me back to Los Angeles. I don't want to be at this place. My God, and look at them. Ma, I got that man in here. He's got raggedy pants on. I don't want to be here. There's people doing worse than I'm doing. They're doing boss bad. I'm only doing bad. He said, give it a try. Give it a try. And that's when I heard that testimony. And I said, you know something? If this guy does have the drugs, I'm going to just turn on the And I watched him like a hawk. I was his shadow. Every time he said, ah, I said, you. Every time he moved, I moved. I became his shadow. And the only thing I learned is Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me. And I began to say, so And then one night, 
one night when my whole life began to flash in front of me and realizing that God was real and he is real and that I had never known peace and all I had was bitterness and anger and most of it was for me because I couldn't be like other people because I couldn't be successful in life. And what was wrong with, with finishing high school? And what was wrong with going to college? And what was wrong with becoming something in life? You don't have to be a drug addict to be saved. You don't have to be an addict or an alcoholic. All you have to do is be willing. And that's it. We all sinners. And I asked Christ, and I said these words, Lord, if you're real, and if there really is a God, and you do love people and you care about your people, then Lord help me. I'm so stupid and I'm so dumb, I don't have sense to come out of the And oh God, I don't know what good is because I've never been good. And oh God, I don't know what peace is because I've been so busy causing trouble and causing problems. And I don't know, Lord, I'm so stupid. But Lord, I wouldn't have. No, no lightning didn't flash and no songs didn't sing and I didn't go to some exotic cell. All that didn't happen. But I knew that night, oh, I knew that night that I had found Christ. You know, Christ is never lost, but Christ has found me. I felt an inner peace. Oh, no, I was still just leaning on me as I could be. But as the years began to pass, things became so beautiful. I had called my family at one time and said, Hey, I'm out in California. Good, stay there. Don't bother about coming back here. And I began to say, Lord, you know, I want to see my family. So in 1985... One of my sisters came, and I had seven of them. And I, let me tell you something. I don't mean no offense, young lady, but wow, never again. Seven sisters, and one whom I couldn't stay in the same room with for five minutes without a hair-pulling contest, and I won them all. She came out here to see me because she wanted to see if the things that I had been writing home about were true. And so we went out to Disneyland. And as we were going in Disneyland, she grabbed me and she began to cry. I was wondering what this was. Don't get upset. I got money. We ain't going to have to sneak in. Don't cry. And I had, and I couldn't figure it out. And then she grabbed me. Now listen, let's not fight about this thing. It ain't Dutch treat. I'm going to take you. She held me. She began to cry. And I said, what's wrong? And she said, I finally have my brother back. I have the one who I've always loved. And then I started to cry. And then the two guys that was with us, they started to cry. And people walked by. And they said, there's a bunch of crying drunks. They thought we were drunk because we were crying. It wasn't tears of sorrow. It was tears of joy. Because the Lord had recycled. 
He had taken hold of my life and he had changed it. Not only did she say that she loved me, but she moved out here to California. And it's been trouble ever since. Not only did the Lord use me, by the way, at the Bible Tabernacle, where we do take things homeless and the poor and the down and out. Many come from the prisons, many come from the county jails, and we try and give them Christ. We don't force it upon them. It's their choice. And the Lord chose to license me as a minister of the gospel. He was our late pastor, Pastor Fred Hills, who went home to be with the Lord. It would be one year, 27th of this month, he seen that I was licensed as a minister. And I spent a lot of time up at Wayside Honoring, which sometimes you guys may call Christmas Honoring. And they asked me to become a chaplain, and here this was ironic. Because here I was going into the penitentiary, and here I was going into the county jail, and I was coming out and not waiting for a parole board. That's what made it so ironic. But I had a lot of problems with that because when I would go up in the prison, they would shut the door, I would turn around right away and say, wait a minute, I'm a visitor. I'm not here to stay this time. And so they finally did make me a chaplain. And I thought and I thought and I thought upon that study. And I had to take another look at it. I waited patiently for the Lord. Yes, I certainly did. But He waited patiently for me. Because you want to know one thing. Sometimes we get so wrapped up into self that we forget about others and we forget there's a God. And the Lord had finally taken me and slapped me so hard I lost all my hair. Because grass never grew on a busy street anyway. But he got my attention. And he had pulled me out. He really did. He took me by the hand, man, and he snatched me out. He lifted me out. I was a muck in the mind. And boy, did he set my feet on solid ground. Because that rock became quite deep. And in the past ministry, there have been many, many, many young men. 17, 18, 19 years old. That's gangbangers. You name it, that's what they were. Chris, blood, whatever else they call themselves. Raggies, breakies, anything. They came to the ministry and they became my children. They became my sons. And I shared a part of my life with them and many of them gave their lives to Christ. And believe it or not, a few of them graduated from the Master's College. I won't give their names because some of you may know them. But they graduated from the Master's College someday. Some right now in service. I got one that's a United States Navy SEAL, whatever that is, but that's what he is. One is in Special Forces, one is in Germany, and one is in Saudi Arabia. But they've got crisis in their life. So then, you know, I looked at myself one day and I said, you know something, I'm not so bad after all. I'm not rich, but I'm handsome. You just can't see it. And then again, beauty's in the eye of the beholder. And even as the Lord began to work in my life, and I began to go to Wayside and share the gospel there with those that are inside the prison there, those that have had hope, 
and putting their hope in Christ Jesus. And let me tell you something. It's nobody's fault that a person is in jail or, or doing wrong because they choose to do. And taking and going to them and, and showing them and sharing Christ with them. And hearing this morning the, the opportunity to go out to the mission field and to tell others about Christ. That's a great opportunity. And let me tell you something else. This is a great audience. And I'm not saying it for flattery. I've already been paid. I'm saying it because you're young. The world is different. You have so many opportunities to share Christ with someone. To let them know who Christ is and what it's all about. And no, you don't have to be a gangbanger. You don't have to be a, a drug addict or anything of that nature to be saved. All you have to do is be willing. And knowing of a certainty that people do need the Lord. Because what we do every day out at the Bible Tabernacle is read the Word of God. And sometimes I attempt to preach. Sometimes I attempt to share the Word of God with men who are down and out, who have no hope, and believe in nothing but themselves. And to show them that lives can be changed through Christ Jesus. Because, see, I never became an overlord of the gangs in North Philadelphia, and I never became a professional boxer. I got as far as the Golden Glove and the semifinals in 1952, and I was faced with a guy who I had beaten so many times that this was a shoo-in. Even his manager said, listen, this is not fair. This guy's seen him before. And as I did my number and pranced around the ring, flexed my little muscles, every bit of my 123 pounds, and stood there and menaced at him, shook this at him, he got the message. And boy, the first round, I was pretty. Oh, I was sneezing, dabbing, and cooking. Oh, my God. And I stopped and went to fight off. Come on and get it. This is for you. The bell rang for round two. I came out, my manager had told me, hey, Cole, cool, cool it down there. Say, this, this is a meatball. I'll take him this round. The bell rang, and then the next thing I remember, they were saying, are you all right? How many fingers do you see? So this, this can't be me. And I was flat down looking up. I got pretty and overconfident. And that's what sometimes we do when we're saving Christ. We get overconfident. We get cute. We step up on a pedestal and Satan comes and knocks us down. The same way I was knocked out. And can you imagine the humiliation? Well, we can't lose our salvation, but he sure can tarnish our testimony. And seeing what's so great, and what I feel so good about this morning, is that this is an answer to prayer. I came out here in 1982 when Dr. John MacArthur Jr. was speaking at the Los Angeles Baptist College. And if I remember correctly, it was in the month of February. And everybody was talking about John MacArthur Jr., John MacArthur Jr. They could say, who is John MacArthur Jr.? Hey, man, he's dynamic. Hey, he's a great speaker. Hey, this is a man of the Lord. And as I was trying to figure all this out, I heard him speak, and I said, somewhere in the peace is over there. And I was really impressed by what he had to say. Until I came the next day, and I was so impressed. And I said to one of the guys who was sitting next to me, I said, you know something? 
One day, one day I hope I can get invited to LADC and speak at their chapel. But I didn't get invited to LADC, but I got invited to the Manchester College. Say most of them. And I thank God for this opportunity. And I thank God to share. Some of the students from here, from Dewey Butter English class, and Dewey and I go way back. Came out to join us for services last night. And we had a great time. They were a great crowd. I hope they enjoyed the service. Thank you. Because, see, we didn't put the dog on. We can get cute every once in a while. But we didn't. We had a wonderful time. And I want to thank those who showed up. And I want to thank God for the opportunity. And Mrs. Gail Bird, who, who called, and when she called, I said, wait a minute, I don't know anybody in Nigeria. I don't know anybody from the Master's Conference. And if you ask me what I speak here, I said, well, take it up with my manager. <laughs> I jumped at the opportunity. And see, God made another one of my dreams come true. Allow me to come here and speak to you this morning. And you want to know one thing? I'll tell you the truth. Prayer is going on out there at the ranch now because they thought I would faint in between coming up the steps and getting to the podium. Because I do get nervous, but once I get started, I let the Lord take over. And I feel at home. I really feel at home. I want to once again say thank you for allowing me to tell you what the Lord has done in my life. And I hope and I pray that you will pray for me and with me. That the Lord will continue to use me in the ministry that he has given me to the poor, to the dining hours, and to the prison ministry at Wayside Island. And pray my strength in the Lord that I don't become big here. But I can't remember that I'm a humble servant of the Most High God. And no, I don't hate anybody anymore. Black, white, all color. There's no color with the Lord. No, I don't have any anger in my heart, any animosity, and I do have peace and I do have joy. You know, they say he who loves the Lord is made fat. Take a look. And that's what you want. There's peace and contentment, there's joy. That void has been placed by the love of God in yet. There's a new song in my mind. And I'm singing that song to you now. I'm giving you the melody of Jesus Christ as Lord and King. And yes, I was slightly intimidated to come out here and to speak to all you students. And I was kind of intimidated because they said, you know, they might get up and they may walk out because maybe I'm not smart enough to speak to them. And I said, that's that's what you think of me. They're really a bunch of great kids. And one day, you know, you may get the opportunity to go to one of the churches that they may be pastoring. And that's, that's not a dream. That can be a reality. And I've been asked to close in prayer and to dismiss you. And if there's anything that you take with you today concerning me, you take this thought with you. That no matter who or what you are, or what you want to be, you're nothing until you know Christ. Thank you.